joining us now is Heidi Sloan, congressional candidate for Texas's 25th district. Heidi, I apologize for that lead in. Thank you for joining us. No problem at all. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So very exciting. You're running for the US House in Texas's 25th district. What encouraged you to run? Well, I've been a part of a lot of local campaigns for a number of years now. And for me, it is that organizing. It is standing with people who are directly affected by the policies and by the movement that has potential to change our lives. It is seeing everyday folks show up and fight and stand with their neighbors, not necessarily for something that is directly affecting them right now, but for something they can envision standing in solidarity for in the long term. And it is knowing how impactful it is to talk to our neighbors, knowing how impactful it is to bring people closer to the empowerment of their own voices. That led me to this vision. We've worked on a lot of campaigns at the city and the state level. We've influenced some federal congressional representatives. But to think that we could use a platform running for Congress to continue to grow organizers and to bring more people into this work alongside of us is the heart and soul of what we're doing doing here in Texas. So when I go through the list of progressive proposals that we're seeing you know, in this presidential election, you appear to be on the right side for a lot of these <laughs> issues. So you're a supporter of Medicare for all, Green New Deal, workers rights, safety and liberation for marginalized people. I love that and I wanna elaborate on that a little more later in the interview. But before we get to domestic policy, I wanted to ask you about something that's very much in the news right now. How would you, as a member of Congress, handle US foreign policy differently, particularly the escalating tensions with Iran? I think it's really interesting to come at this from a background of centering the working class domestically mm -hmm. and to realize that to support and to lead alongside the working class here in the US is to support the working class internationally. And so many of the methods of international relations that we have developed are top down are, are um, influencing those in leadership and those in power, rather than saying, how do we actually stand with people on the ground? How do we stand with working people across the world and create conditions that empower them towards more democratic governance, towards their own agency and towards a future that works for all of us. And so um, whether we are talking about relationships with Mexico or we are talking about re relationships with Iran, I really want to focus on how our actions um, affect people who are struggling to live their day-to-day -day lives, who are affected by their own governance, by the people in power in their own countries, and how we can meet those folks um, on common ground and to support them first and foremost, rather than letting the working class be an afterthought in our international politics. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I love that you're tackling this from a more comprehensive perspective because oftentimes I think that our politicians think of domestic politics and international relations as two separate things, but they're very much intertwined. And a lot of Americans feel frustration over the fact that so much of our money, so many of our resources go toward fighting these wars that we don't, first of all, many of our actions have led to, but more importantly, our actions further destabilize regions like the Middle East, for instance. And so in my opinion, this is just my analysis into the situation with Iran. 
I think that the endless wars are intentionally endless because there is a huge industry that profits off of it. Um, so I love the way that you're tackling that. So let's talk a little bit about the fact that you're, you know, you're running in 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 Texas. Uh, Texas is, of course. Uh, quickly changing, it's no longer a solid red state. You have more progressives moving into the state, especially from places like California, for instance, for affordability reasons, so that's good news. But how are you responding to maybe some of those independent voters that aren't as progressive or don't identify as progressive, but are interested in your messaging? How are you reaching out to them and making your case? Right, and I wouldn't necessarily say we're we're using a strategies particularly for the independent voters. Mm-hmm. What I usually say is that we are reaching out to folks who are politically disenfranchised, mm-hmm. uh, folks for whom the ideology has not directly spoken to their lives and their own conditions, meeting them in that space, and and not really starting with this idea that there is a left and there is a right, and you're either on the correct side of that or you're on the wrong side of that, but actually there is a top. And there is a bottom and things look drastically different for the vast majority of us who are on that bottom layer, who are struggling, working two, sometimes three jobs just to get by. And your politics um, should not be so dislocated from your everyday uh, working life, your your home life, your education, your healthcare. Actually, those are interconnected and it is a, a false never narrative that is Perpetuated to keep people who um, who are so busy just trying to manage um, their very existence from speaking out. This narrative um, that disconnects those two spaces for us. And so, what we're doing is actually going and talking to a whole lot of people, um, Democrats, Independents, and even Republicans, and increasingly Republicans as we move into the general, about what it means to have a politics that puts your um, your life and the lives of your neighbors in the center of that paradigm. And I, like I said before, I believe that is where we find solidarity, that actually mm-hmm. that human root of um, of self-centeredness does not conflict with wanting to be absolutely for your neighbor as well and seeing how we can work towards policies that do both of those things. You know, Bernie Sanders has this strategy of really honing in on the issue that unites all of us, and it's the issue of economic injustice. And so I see a lot of people who ended up voting for Donald Trump argue that if Bernie were the Democratic nominee, they would be open to voting for him because he talks about the issues that they care about the most. You know, a lot of Trump supporters, while yes, there's some portion of them who supported him because of the unsavory, terrible things that he said about disenfranchised groups. There's still a pretty significant portion that feel neglected, left behind, and frustrated about the economic situation. So I'm curious, as you're reaching out to Republican voters, what has their reaction been? Because Republican voters in particular have been primed to be afraid of candidates like you. You know, you go to DSA meetings, oh, Democratic Socialists, we should be afraid. They're gonna try to take away our rights. Obviously, those are all lies, but I'm curious how they react when you reach out to them and you just kind of explain what your positions are. Right, um, so a great example of this is talking about a Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a policy that is very popular across the country, but definitely not as much so in these kinds of spaces. There is a lot of fear mongering that happens with that particular branding. Um, and so when we go and talk about a Green New Deal, we're not talking about um, sort of 
liberal or progressive leaders top down um, analytical approach to solving climate crisis, we're talking about a federal jobs guarantee. We're talking about making sure farmers get paid fair wages to take care of their land. We're talking about infrastructure and rural areas. We're talking about these policies in a way that um, bridges that gap, that really um, takes away the power of that divisive um, rhetoric and and we have receipts for it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when we talk about immigration and the race to the bottom, we say, well, what would happen if corporations were required to pay immigrants a fair and living wage and immigrants were allowed to organize alongside of us in our workplaces? Well, we would all win. Mm-hmm. And people see that. They see how they have been undercut, whether it is by the immigration system or the criminal justice system. They understand that our economy is controlled by a few, and they are always looking for ways of breaking up the working class and keeping us weak and against one another. So when we bring our receipts to that table, when we meet people in their need and in their fear and in their worry and say to them, there is a reason that you are worried. And it is because the top has instilled um, this notion that we can do no other than be um, infighting all of the time. But there is another world that we can build if we stand with one another. Um, Then we actually begin to make progress and, and move people. Oh, I love it, I love it. Now this message is incredibly threatening to corporate Democrats. And I've personally seen how vicious they can be to progressives who want bold change. And I'm curious, uh, through your organizing, through your campaigning, have you experienced any of that pushback from you know, the establishment Democrats or, or anything? It's interesting um, because no one self identifies as a corporate Democrat around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we get a lot of instead is um, why would you uh, try to divide the Democratic Party? Mm-hmm. Why would you um, stand against any policies that a Democrat has put forward? And for me, I'm coming at this from a background of having moved other congressional representatives, relatively good congressional representatives to sign on to bills like Medicare for all. And in organizing, we power map and we move key figures. We um, organize our allies first or our potential allies first, and then we organize the harder ones to come alongside with, with their power and their movements added to our own. And so for me, it doesn't feel like this war, it feels like here we are standing up, um, making our demands known. And um, that if we are truly the, the Democratic Party of progressives that we say we are, that can't be wrong. It is only making us sharper. What I think is interesting is, is as AOC has been talking about lately, mm-hmm. is that actually the root of the Democratic Party? Do we actually want to be bringing voices from the grassroots on up? Um, developing better and better politics and involving more and more people? Or does that generate fear? And if that generates fear, then that's a moment for the Democratic Party to do some real reflection. I know where I stand. Yep, well said, well said. Heidi Sloan, congressional candidate for Texas's 25th district. Please learn more about her campaign and donate by going to HeidiSloan.com or HeidiSloan.com slash donate specifically if you're looking to contribute to her campaign. You can also volunteer by going to HeidiSloan.com slash volunteer. Thank you so much, Heidi, and all the best luck to you. Thanks, Anna, thanks so much. 
Welcome back to The Conversation, I'm Anna Kasparian. And joining us now is Jim Keaty, congressional candidate for New Jersey's fourth district. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. Thanks for having me, Anna, I'm happy to be here. So you are referred to as a progressive leader. And I wanted to talk about your progressivism a little bit. There are a number of issues that progressives have signed on to that are that they're pushing for, fighting for, including Medicare for all, the Green New Deal. And it seems as though every candidate has an issue that really speaks to them, the issue that they wanna highlight in their campaign. So I was curious, which issue is the most important to you? The climate crisis, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay. Uh, you know, I've seen the climate crisis up close and personal in my hometown of Belmar, New Jersey. We had Hurricane Sandy slam into us in 2012. It devastated a lot of the fourth district. Uh, I also was down in Puerto Rico after Maria. I did two humanitarian deployments down there to help out in the aftermath of that. Most recently, I did two deployments with a group called the Humanitarian Aid and Rescue Project down in the Bahamas in the immediate aftermath after Dorian. Uh, I, you know, have been on the, you know, you show photos there of me working on the front lines of the, the Syrian refugee crisis, and you know, as we're seeing these climate crisis emergencies emerge in a much greater way and with greater consistency, consistency and intensity, we're starting to see climate refugees happen uh, all over the world, and we have an entire continent that's on fire right now in Australia. And having had those really personal, visceral experiences with Sandy. Uh, Maria and Dorian, having had the experience of working in refugee camps with people who were running from it, in those cases, war, uh, and marrying those two together, I am deeply concerned about what we are going to be facing as a country uh, and as a world as the climate crisis intensifies. And look, I'm passionate about a range of progressive issues, whether it's Medicare for all, college for all, um, dealing with the criminal justice reform, racial justice reform, getting big money out of politics. But if we don't deal squarely with the climate crisis and match it with the intensity that it was created and the intensity that is now you know, attacking our, our globe, uh, none of those other issues are gonna matter. Right, I mean, climate is really connected to all of the other issues that progressives are discussing right now. I mean, you can't discuss Medicare for all or healthcare without discussing how the environment contributes to illnesses that people are suffering right now. You can't talk about immigration without discussing how climate change is leading to climate refugees. And so I think it's great that you're honed in on that issue and it's important to have real fighters advocate for significant policy policy changes like the Green New Deal. But how do you approach that, not just from a national level, but let's say in a best case scenario, you win and Congress successfully passes a Green New Deal. How do you work with international leaders, let's say with the leader of Australia to convince them to act on the Green New Deal or on climate change? Especially when you have climate deniers in countries like Australia, which is currently on fire. Yeah, so in the same way that we deal with the issues here, we do it at the grassroots level. Mm -hmm. And one of the things in the arc of my 25 years of doing grassroots education and advocacy and organizing, it's been national and international. So when I was doing work in Greece on the front lines of the Syrian refugee crisis on the island of Lesbos, that was an international community of 
you know, a ragtag bunch of volunteers, small scale NGOs, larger NGOs, and we all worked beautifully together. And I told people over and over again from that experience, my God, if the people that I was lucky enough to volunteer with on Lesbos, if we were in charge, if we were running our governments around the world, what a much different world we would have. So in the current situation, we're not. People like myself are running to get into positions of power, and there are people, friends of mine, who are running in different countries around the world to get into positions of power. And I can make those calls, and we can touch base with the grassroots organizers that I've already done work with in multiple countries around the world. I also did work, you know, for 14 years. I was doing work in the largest Muslim country in the world, in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indonesia is the fourth most uh, populous country in the world. Most people can't point to it on a map. Uh, And given those two things, that it's the largest Muslim country, it's the fourth largest uh, country in terms of population, makes it incredibly important strategically. It's also one of the leaders in terms of pollution, particularly the plastic issue that we are seeing that is just devastating our coastlines. We have the Pacific Garbage Patch. You know, I have those personal connections in a place like Indonesia. My friends are now, you know, grassroots activists that I was working with 20 years ago in the slums organizing on behalf of Nike factory workers. Some of them are now in really important positions in the Indonesian government. So this the work that I've done over the last 25 years of my life in terms of education, grassroots education, grassroots advocacy will be brought to bear if I have the pleasure of serving the people of the fourth district in the United States Congress. So since we're talking about taking action on an international level, I'm curious how you would handle other foreign policy related matters. Iran has been in the news, Donald Trump has escalated tensions with Iran. And it would be a dream of mine to have progressives representing us to mitigate some of the damage that Donald Trump has done. So let's say you get elected into Congress, how would you handle these types of foreign policy matters differently? Well, the first question that I would want to ask, let's say I were a sitting member of Congress today, I would want to know what the president's endgame is mm-hmm. and what is his plan for getting there? What are his goals with regard to Iran and what is his plan to achieving those goals? And there may be some that I might agree with. There, I'm certain there would be others that I would not agree with. And if it included us going to war with Iran, then we would have to organize and mobilize the grassroots base here in the United States to push back against that disastrous policy. Uh, I, I think that you know the, the, the fundamental questions that we have to be asking about people that want to serve in office, what is their orientation before they got to office? What are they grounded in? What are things that they've stood for? And for my entire adult life, I've stood for peace and justice and trying to create social justice so that we can have peace, create economic justice so that we can have peace, push for racial justice so that we can have peace. So if the orientation is toward peace and justice, the specifics in any given situation will present themselves as it happens, mm-hmm. right? Having served in office, I was an official, I was an elected official in the city of Asbury Park. If we have any Springsteen out there, that's where Bruce cut his teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asbury <laughs> Park, his breakout album. So I was a councilman in the city of Asbury Park. And when you run for office, you have the things that you're really passionate about that you say you wanna do. When you get into office, that takes up about a third of your time fighting for those things. The other third is dealing with whatever the messes were that you inherited stepping into the office. And the or next third is what happened <laughs> one day. 
Well, there's the fundraising issue. I think part of the problem with members of Congress today is that they spend a great deal of time fundraising. And I apologize for interrupting you, but just a quick side note, how are you raising funds for your campaign? Totally grassroots, we we just announced our fundraising numbers. I just got started a couple weeks ago. So we're gonna have to build as we're moving forward without doing any fundraising events with doing very minimal call time, just tapping into the grassroots based supporters that we already had. We raised about $24,000 in a few weeks when I launched just in the middle of the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And we'll continue to do it that way. Grassroots, you know, our focus is more on using that money that we have that we've brought in mm-hmm. and maximizing it with a very simple campaign strategy. It's about knocking on doors. We've got a simple flyer with a clear progressive democratic message, and we are hitting the doors of every voter in the district. We gotta get through our, our primary first. Now, I wanna come back to that point you made about campaign finance. You're right, 33% of a sitting member of Congress's day, they work about 12 hour days, is spent going into the respective headquarters on either side of the aisle and dialing for dollars back home to the district. I do not want to be that kind of elected official. And the way that people can help, people who are running for office like myself, who don't wanna do that is by making those grassroots online contributions. So I would encourage people who are watching this, if the message that that we're sharing here tonight resonates with you, please go to jimkeady.com, J-I-M-K-E-A-D-Y.com, click on uh, donate and make your grassroots contribution. We're gonna need help from progressives, particularly from the fourth district. I'm proud of the fact that the majority of our contributions in the fourth quarter came from people in New Jersey. And the majority of the contributions that came from people in New Jersey came from people in the fourth district. We have 44 towns in the fourth district. We got contributions from people in 30 of those towns, and we're gonna build on that. We will get all 44, uh, but we're also gonna need help. We, we need progressives that can help target districts like ours, because we know the DCCC is not gonna target a campaign like ours. <laughs> we don't want them to. Uh, we know that big money donors aren't coming. We don't want them to. Our campaign doesn't have a, a super PAC, would never do it, don't want it. So the way that we do this is through people power. And that's with those grassroots contributions. And that's with people in the district and around the district who share our vision and our ideals and our strategy to put on a good pair of walking shoes and we're gonna go out and knock on doors nonstop until we win the primary and then take that same vision and strategy into the general election in November. That's wonderful. Uh, Jim, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk about the issues with us. There were so many other issues that unfortunately we didn't have time to get to. So I do encourage all of you watching to check out his website, jimkeedy.com, as he mentioned earlier. There's the graphic. Um, and you can also volunteer by going to jimkeedy.com slash hashtag fourth, meaning the fourth district. Again, thank you, Jim, all the power to you, keep fighting and you know, I hope you make it. We need more representatives who are people powered as opposed to corporate powered. Amen, thank you very much, thanks for having me on. Of course, my pleasure, have a great night. You too. Thank you so much for watching everyone. Please check out these candidates. It's not enough to elect Bernie Sanders as the next president of the United States, although that would be excellent. We need to make sure that we have appropriate representation in Congress as well. Get mobilized, get involved, get active. Thank you for watching, we'll see you soon.